Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, hello everyone. I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts. And I'm Jeannie Thomason, your other host. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Myrna Milani about how human emotions affect our companion animal health. She is fascinating to listen to, and I think Dr. Myrna <laughs> always lover. inspires me. Mm-hmm. I know. It's really great to have her back. So before we bring her on the show, we're going to hear from one of our partners, and then we'd like to really introduce you to Dr. Myrna. You're going to have a great time today. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Pick up something unique at a Bone to Pick dog boutique. A Bone to Pick has cool hip fashions for big and small dogs that will have their tails wagging in style. Cat products too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Check out our eco-friendly pet products and gifts for humans too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Get your pet's mouth watering monthly with our Gourmet Treat of the Month Club. And join a Bone to Pick's free birthday club for your puppy. A-B-O-N-E. Dash to dash P-I-C-K dot com. Pick up something special for your best friend at a bone to pick. A B O N E dash T-O dash P-I-C-K dot com. Get 10% off with coupon code PetLife. Do you love your dog? Then you'll love feeding him mouthwatering all-natural treats, lovingly handmade by a professional caterer who wanted the very best for her dogs. Make no mistake about it, these are not ordinary dog treats. These are doggy delights, like breakfast banana biscotti, honey bear peanut butter balls, yummy apple cinnamon mini cakes, and so much more. Your dog will howl in delight. And now you can get a scrumptious sample pack by going to dingersdogtreats.com. It's a $25 value, yours for just $9.95 through this special radio offer. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Every one of these gourmet doggy treats is handmade from the finest ingredients and taste tested on our own dogs. Your dog will love them. Get $25 worth of doggy delights now for just $9.95. Go to dingersdogtreats.com now. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Yum. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagadelic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com.
Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Welcome to our listening audience and those who are in our chat. Thank you for being with us today. We appreciate you being here, and I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. I know I'm going to. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Dr. Myrna Milani. She earned her Bachelor of Science degree from Capital University in Columbus, Ohio, and her doctorate in veterinary medicine from the Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine. She's really, really uh, focused on animal behavior, and um, she entered private practice, she says, in uh, New Hampshire after she had done a, um, a year as a full-time academic advisor to pre-veterinary students at the university that she attended. And her interest is, obviously, as you will find out, in the study of the relationship between humans and animals and how it affects their health and, our, and the behavior of both. And she has written a number of books, and some are novels. She has them on her website at www.m. M as in M&M's, mmmilani.com, that's M-M-I-L-A-N-I.com. She um, has written The Weekend Dog, The Invisible Leash, The Body Language and Emotion of Dogs, The Body Language and Emotion of Cats, and several other books. And really, you want to go read her blog because she is such, she is an amazing writer as well. And I'm not just saying that. Um, I really enjoy what she writes. And uh, hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about um, her newest article today, um, that I saw, and it was uh, the tip. It's called Fat Cats and Top Dogs, which I thought that was awesome. But before we get into that, let's just welcome Dr. Milani. I'm so glad you're with us. Well, I'm very, very happy to be here, though slightly embarrassed after that introduction. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can live up to that. Oh, oh yes, you, 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 you definitely do. do. <laughs> you do live up to it. And I it just was really, it's really enjoyable to have you back with us. And, and uh, Dr. Milani, we. As far as we're concerned, you're always a welcome guest with us. But this is a fascinating topic for us. In fact, partly due, I mean, due in part to your inspiration to both Jeannie and I, we have taken our show to another level, and that is not just the human-animal bond and natural animal health, but animal nature. Because therein is, is where I think human beings are really straight off the beaten path, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I think, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely uh, big time. And the animals, I think both domestic animals, companion animals as a subset of that, and also the wild animals are paying the price for that. Right. You bet they are. They really, really are. Well, I know that um, because this is your focus, and this is a, such an important topic today, and I, I, you know, your article is going to... Um, really talk about that and I hope you don't mind if I quote from part of that on here because I was as always when I'm reading your blog or your site I laugh out loud because you're so profound and yet you're very direct (laughs) so if you will allow me and if people would like to go to the site and read this article in full I think it would really um, enlighten them to what today's topic is going to be about fat cats and top dogs animal behavior in the business world and it's right on the front page of your website and you allude to you you talk about on the well, no, it's on the front of the website. Oh, is and, it? Um, I didn't it, see it there. It, yeah, and Good. it goes to the whole thought process between, behind, you know, uh, the 
alpha dog, you know, the, the, um, how we're right now during the presidential election we're hearing about, you know, we think that the top dog is the alpha dog. And, and I thought this was fascinating what Dr. Myrna said, so I'm going to quote from here. But she says, all, she says, and referring to, um, you know, the, that there are metaphors that we use from the animal world and the human world. And she says, well, although this might be true on the athletic field about, referring back to alpha dog, it's not true within the animal kingdom in the long run. There, there the winners are those who get the job done using the least amount of energy. And one thing we can say for sure about fighting is that it uses a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And worse, the re- return on that energy investment can be sufficiently low that it would make any thinking investment banker consider a career <laughs> change. For one thing, no one ever wins a fight. The winner is simply the one who loses the least. And for another, fighting is self-limiting. It's only an effective strategy if you're very strong and your competitor or opponent is very weak. Now, she goes down to say later that um, for... For, so in animal terms, the ideal male and female al- alphas are the ones who r- can rise to the top, creating the least amount of stress for themselves and those around them. How different than us, and and how we totally don't get the human, the, the animal nature anymore, Doctor um, Myrna, because as we said before, we re- we're so far removed from um, nature. We're so urbanized. Yes, and this whole idea of. You know, the alpha being the, the winner of the fight, and I hear this time and time again, and I, I've gotten to the point even, like I used to use the word leadership, uh, talking about with the relationship between humans and dogs, and I was referring to it the way it was originally intended, which was as... Um, a model for the relationship between a mature adult dog and a pup. And yet that doggone competitive dominance, it just always sneaks back in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that uh, there are a lot of people out there who apparently feel impotent. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, well, I, for I, lack I, of a better word. Well, I just remember years ago um, having this discussion with my grandmother, and it happened to be during an election year, and she just asked a rhetorical question, who seeks power? And Mm -hmm. her answer was, why, those who feel naturally impotent, who else? Mm. And so I look at the same thing that, you know, the people who have to prove that they can control a dog or a horse or another animal... They're missing the point. Right. They totally are. And I think you might know, um, because you know so much about animal behavior, Dr. Myrna, uh, that in the horse world, it's not the dominant horse who's the leader. There's a difference between dominance oh, and leadership. Yeah. The the analogy I use with my, my clients is that a true alpha, a true alpha is like a person who has a black belt, and all of the philosophy to go with it. Mm. They never fight. Right. No, they walk away if they can. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want my clients to have a a canine parental relationship with their dogs, and that's different from a human parental. You know, we got to get that right out of front. But the thing about a a parental relationship in the domestic arena is that it lasts whereas a competitive relationship doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm being anthropomorphic, uh, to use the analogy of myself 
and my brother and my sister. We will go to our graves competing. I can <laughs> my brother now. I died before you did. Ha 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 ha. Okay? But my mom could be resurrected from the grave in her 95-pound scrawniness, give any one of us the look, and we would buckle. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I, she, she was a leader. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it... it and that's forever. And right. the thing is that that's what I want for my clients. And and the the reality is that a lot of training methods were developed for trainers who like to they like to train. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they are on an ongoing training with their dogs for the dog's entire life that appeals to them. Right. But it doesn't appeal to the average person. And so because of that, uh, to me, it's worth it to make this kind of um, a more equitable emotional investment up front rather than so, trying to backtrack later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that thought, how have human emotions towards animals changed over the years? It's not a question so much as have they, but how have they? Yeah, they've... Uh, there's been a change both in the kind of emotion and also the intensity. And mm. when, I, when I was thinking about this, I, it just so happened that somebody sent me a poem by Walt Whitman. So we're talking about the mid-1800s. And it's a short poem, and it's called Dumb Delights. And when I read this poem, I was thinking about a dog back in the 1850s and a lot of the dogs I see, who obviously have problems or I wouldn't be seeing them. And his poem goes like this. I think I could turn and live with animals. They're so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them long and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick, disgusting their duty to God. Not one is dissatisfied. Not one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. Not one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. Not one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. Well, he's certainly not talking about my patient base. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know? They ain't placid, placid. They ain't self-contained. They whine. Mm-hmm. They lie awake at night, they pace, they weep. Mm. Uh, some of them are demented with the manic possessive. Right. You know, but that that was the emotion back then. And that was the animal was the animal. It was self contained, separate from us, with its own needs. Mm-hmm. Then if we jump forward and a big, big jump here uh, that gave way to what I think of as the era of guilt. Back in the 70s when women went back into the workforce and then the predominant emotion then was guilt. Uh, and this, again, this was very similar to what uh, working mothers experienced. Mm. Indeed, if I hadn't been working, the baby never would have gotten sick. Right. If I had been home... Uh, she wouldn't be dyslexic or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we had that era, and then that gave away uh, with the increased uh, trend toward p- 
purebred animals who were, you know, going to solve all the problems uh, because of their breeding and also rescue. Then we went into the era of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. All we have to, as long as we love them and they loved us unconditionally, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, <then>, boy. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then where we are now, and this is a, a pretty recent phenomenon for me. Lately, I have encountered more and more clients who, when their animals develop problems, they speak of feeling betrayed. Hmm. And really? that, that interested me because yeah. Yeah. at first I thought they felt that they were betrayed by the dog. And and some of them did feel this way. They they took it very personally if if the dog bit someone. Hmm. Uh but that that wasn't most of them. There was another small group, they were uh they felt betrayed by the rescue organization or the shelter that uh, imply that all this animal needed was a little bit of love and, you know, everything would straighten out. But I think for the bulk of these people, they felt betrayed by the illusion. Hmm. The illusion? uh... The illusion of dogs um, and other animals as the symbols on whom we projected our emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it was all of a sudden they discovered that, oh, holy cow, there's a dog standing behind that mirror. <laughs> and and that's, that's a tough one, you know, when you're, you're talking about um, maybe having to face lifelong uh, treatment for medical problems right. or serious behavioral problems that are going to require some major changes uh, in the way you think and in, in, in your household, and you feel betrayed. Wow. And I think what you, you said it very well in that article, Dr. Myrna. You said you seek to help your clients analyze their bond space. Yeah. And, that, and that's important because what we're doing is the exact opposite. Exactly. And we're giving ourselves points for it. Yeah. I know. And, that, yeah. you know, and that, that's not to negate the intelligence and, of the animal, but one of the things um, I catch myself repeating over and over like a mantra is the dignity for a dog lies in treating him as a dog. Exactly. Or a horse is a horse. A horse wants, I mean, when you can communicate with a horse or a bird or a prey animal, especially because with these um, predator animals, it's, it's, we're predators, so it, 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 it's a little bit different. But with the prey animals, it's because you've understood their nature enough to become a horse to communicate with a horse. And that sounds really goofy, but it's not. You're talking about animalizing our um, bond space. You're, you're talking about animalizing, becoming like that in order to be able to communicate effectively. Right. And and it's hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, uh, particularly with social animals, that relationship is dynamic. Right. And mm-hmm. the animal is changing and their needs are changing just like we're changing and our needs are changing. And then over this whole uh, complex of what is going on in our daily life, if you will, uh, with our domestic animals and particularly our companion animals, our dogs, our cats, and our and our horses, 
we are consciously or subconsciously uh, breeding them for more and more infantile features, mm-hmm. and we're getting the behavior and the physiology that goes with that. Mm. And Good point. And we're on a collision course. Because yeah, we are. Yeah, because the animals are getting more and more physiologically and behaviorally immature at the same time as the demands that we're placing on them are becoming more and more complex. Mm. Wow. That, that's not a good mix. That's no. like creating the perfect storm. <laughs> right. Well, it, it is, and you, you toss in the um, shrinking gene pool, and mm. I feel that uh, particularly dogs from 50 years of stay and neuter yeah, uh, and that's a factor too. So, you know, it just brings me back to my dream of someday winning the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, so I could start the filthy rich animal think tank, so we could think about them <laughs> before we do them, you know, instead of yeah. after the fact. Yes. I'm wondering, in this whole process, as we're talking about this, because really, what I mean, we're working here. Uh, Dr. Myrna, to help people understand animal nature, and that is, and that is, that's tough, like you said, because um, even even how we feed them is really a struggle with people today. So, where where do the animals' emotions fit into all this? The thing about the animals' emotions is that we know that they have receptors in the same parts of the brain that we do for emotions. Okay, so we know that they have them. Right. The problem is that they don't perceive their world the same way we do. Mm-hmm. So we can't say what emotions they experience or how they experience them. And where we get into trouble is that a lot of times we assign emotions to animals based on what we think we would feel under the same circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. We do. Mm -hmm. And that that can be problematic. Uh, And I'll I'll defer to you two experts on equine behavior. Uh, Oh. (laughs) But I know, you know, for a fact, in both human and canine behavior, Context is absolutely everything, and you can take two behaviors, and they can have absolutely opposite meaning. Sure. So, for example, the the dog that comes running up to you at the door and is wagging his tail like crazy, and he's all over you, he could be saying, yes, I am really happy to see you. Or he could be saying, I am scared to death, but I, I don't want to fight. I can't fight, so I'm, I'm going to just try to close the distance between us. Mm. And you need to know the, the context. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you don't know the context, if you think, oh, anytime you know, a dog does that, that means he loves me, you can have some real breakdowns in communication here, you can create stress for that animal, and then that in turn can lead to medical problems. Mm. Isn't that indicative, though, of why we're having seen all these insane draconian laws come into being? Yes. I mean, there is so much emotion out there. I mean, you know, the things like the the breed ban or in California, Mm -hmm. they just Mm -hmm. passed that 
Oh, that horrendous, what, four-month span right. Mandatory. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that's another thing. That's another thing that I mean. That's just <laughs> you're 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 putting, and this is a passionate topic for us. But you're putting um, the emphasis on the animal, and you know you're you're punishing the animal for something that humans have been irresponsible in. Exactly, and and I think you know one of the things that has happened, and and I know I'm not here to talk about spay and neuter, but uh, <laughs> That's okay. But it always comes up. <laughs> I, well, you know, it all boils down to reproduction. I mean, that's that's the biological raison d'etre, as mm-hmm. we say. Uh, but what I hate to see happen, aside from the um, the implications for the various breeds um, and the canine species itself, is this idea that what we have done is we have traded in euthanizing puppies in shelters a lot of times or by veterinarians, okay, so by people who have made a choice to go into those professions and who have been trained to do this, we have traded in that for a population of well-loved family pets who are succumbing to various diseases way before their time. Mm -hmm. So that when I first went into practice many years ago, uh, it was fashionable to sneer at people who uh, got a dog or a cat and they let them have young so that their offspring, their kids, could see the miracle of birth. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we've raised a whole generation of kids out there who have seen their dog die. Mm-hmm. Watch their dog die of cancer. Uh, watch their dog uh, fade away because of hip dysplasia. Uh, the dog can't play with them because of hip or knee problems mm-hmm. or um, see the Rottweiler die of osteosarcoma. Yeah. And mm-hmm. well, what about behavioral problems oh, as well? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And is that is that the message? Wow. You know, that we want... To, to give our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you alluded to that on the last show you did with us, Dr. Murnett. You did say that this is pretty much a fear-based knee-jerk reaction to lack of knowledge. <laughs> right. And and there's oh, there's this um, thing called the foghorn theory. Mm-hmm. I think people you've, can yeah. see the more noise they make. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what happens um, with these people sometimes, again, the, the animal is a symbol to them. And so you and I might be talking about dogs or cats or horses, but they're talking about something quite different. It could be... Uh, an abusive childhood that they had, and so now they're projecting that so on animals that no animal is ever going to have to experience what they experienced or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this makes any kind of meaningful dialogue extremely difficult. Mm. I'm really fortunate in that here in New England, uh, well, first of all, we did such a bang-up job on spay and neuter that we are now dealing with the consequences big time. 
Yeah. Uh, not and, and could you elaborate on what you mean by that, just for, for well, semantic sake? Our a lot of our local shelters, we have either no, well, we don't have any puppies. Hmm. And well, it's interesting that you say that. Could you say that again? Because I want everyone to hear that. We <laughs> right. sure don't. That. We do not have any local puppies. Wow. The we have um, adult dogs. Then they have a lot of them have problems. I mean, that's just the starting point. That I think anyone who adopts a dog, an adult dog from a shelter or a rescue group, should be go in there with the idea that this animal could have problems. Mm-hmm. Better and that's because of the spay neuter being too done too young, right? That's part of it. Okay. Uh, but the so the other thing that has happened here, then you know, dogs are like drugs. We need them. Dogs are probably even better than drugs, right? Oh, they are. (laughs) I mean, we have co-evolved for thousands and thousands of years to affect each other's heart rate, blood pressure, triglycerides, our sense of well-being. We co-evolved. So Mm -hmm. you can't just say, well, you can't have that. Mm. And so now... No, no, they can't tell us that. They can't. They will not tell us that. <laughs> they well, do tell us that, but they can't. <laughs> they do, but they will not, yeah. So then, the you know, a, a linear, linear approach to this was, well, you guys don't have any puppies, and down south, they've got tons of nice puppies. So now, there are thousands of dogs that are being shipped from down south to New England to other metropolitan areas that do not have any puppies. Oh, boy. And... Some of these animals, they are, well, some of them are taken away from the mothers. Some of these shelters, um, they just have drop-off boxes. Uh, you know, they so the still shelters, have those? Hmm? They, they do here, Jeannie. Those? Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I know. You know, so the shelter workers come to work in the morning, and there's a box there with, you know, eight Animals in stuck it. in there, right? Oh, yeah, and, and they might only be, you know, five, six weeks old. <sighs> so I have seen animals up here, taken away from their moms, put into foster care, vaccinated, wormed, spayed, neutered, shipped, up for adoption, and in their new homes by eight weeks of age. Oh, my God. You're kidding me. That's, that's, they've been spayed so and neutered. Talk about by behavioral yeah. problems. I mean, this oh is, my goodness. This is the, the big push in all the shelters. Is not That's a crime. That's, that's just, that should be a crime. Well, yeah. But it, it's really interesting, though, that if you say anything about this, as I know from saying things about this on my Yeah, website, as do we. <laughs> you, get, you get hate mail. Sure, you mm, do. Oh, yeah. You really yeah, do. do. And um, I'm going to be interested to see what happens the, uh, in the newest uh, journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Big study. Over Ooh. a million dogs. And, really? Yep, and they looked at hip dysplasia and knee problems. Wow. And guess what the big factor was, the primary factor? I know what you're going to say. Yeah. The gonads, the gonads, the yep. gonadectomy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And so I don't... When is that coming out, Dr. Murray? It's out. The, is it? the journal's okay. out now. Okay. We need to yeah. see that. Now, here's here's the thing, and this is the you know the the hate mail that I've gotten from um, certain animal control people is that you know well we'd rather see animals 
you know, spayed and neutered than, than dead. And I said, well, I mean, you're just killing them slowly, slowly with right. this. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Schools in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. What they're saying is, it's all, we don't care as long as we don't have to kill them. Right. The owners have well, to kill them. So who, just, so, but they know, are killing them if they do this too young. Yep, but see, it's not their problem. Right, and they don't have to watch them die. Then it becomes right. the owner who has to, with grief, watch their animal grow sicker and die and old and problems by the age of three or two or whatever. Right, when, and exactly you know. with this long-standing relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And, and there was another article in the AVMA Journal, I think it was last November, that did a, a survey of all of the um, reproductive hormone-related type articles out there. Uh, it's not all-inclusive, but it was pretty good. And the, the first conclusion of this uh, actually inspired me to fire off a letter uh, because the first conclusion was that the shelters have to do uh, pediatric spay and neuter because they're dealing with a population. Yeah. But their recommendation to veterinarians was if you are dealing with somebody's pet, then you counsel them on a case-by-case basis. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, talk about ironic. If they're responsible owners, then you might suggest that they delay it. Right. So now we've gone from if you're responsible, you spay and neuter them, and, you know, linear thinking, the sooner the better. Yeah. And, and now it's going to the opposite extreme. And the, the thing I wrote to the journal was that I had severe ethical problems with this. I mean, mm-hmm. how could I, as a veterinarian, say to a client who had you know, gone through, through problems with a dog 
Look, why don't you be a good doobie and, and go and adopt a dog from a shelter? Yeah. How can, how can I do that? Right. So it's, you know, there is a lot of, you know, emotion, 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 emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it is very emotional simply because of what you said, how we've co-evolved. And, and one of the things that, again, I keep referring back to this article, and you are such a profound writer, it just kind of strikes me as I go back and read over and over. But you say, you know, that because of this, it's, it's the real challenge for us is learning to communicate with them in their own language. And I honestly said in, in that article that we um, told you about before the show, um, come to the edge that uh, that that the whole thing is. What if we were? What if we could just ask the animals? I don't think they'd be on the same page with us with all this stuff. No. I don't think they would either. And you know, it's in in terms of you know anthropomorphic. Maybe it might be, but you know, if my if my cat came up to me and put his little paw around my shoulder and said, "Hey, come on, let's you and me mosey out and rustle up some rodents for dinner." Mm. <laughs> you know, um, or hey, you don't need your ovaries, right? What the heck? You know, what do you need them for? What do you need them for? Yeah. Well, actually, given my age now, my pets know doggone well what I needed them for, and they <laughs> sure know when it's not there. You know? Oh my god, wedding again. You know, but it's um, I I think. You know, this idea that it doesn't matter. I think that's what that's what bothers me right. most. Yeah. That it's it's too I don't know. And and it's not even like it's too hard to learn about them. It's no. that it doesn't even come up on the screen hmm. as, as a possibility. And I see this I see this across uh the media. You know, references to animals as if this they actually knew what they were talking about, and it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me. Um, and, and the media, um, I have to say something here. I'm not real sure they know much about much because um, true journalism has just been out the window. And that said, uh, I don't lay much credence in what they say, but what's really frightening is the majority of people do. That's it right there. Yes. We've dumbed everybody down to the point that they believe anything they hear anymore. And usually from the media, not not even from somebody in authority or, or an expert. Right. Well, and and sad for us, um, animals sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they make good, uh, you know, animals make for good television. And mm-hmm. I could probably get a Ph.D. analyzing dog or cat-related segments on YouTube if I could stomach it. Mm. <laughs> you know? Because, yeah. you know, I, I can see... Gosh, you're sounding like us, Dr. <laughs> well, you know, and it's so hard because, I mean, some of these, they're, they're very creative, and mm-hmm. if you don't know anything about animal behavior... They are funny. Sure. But if you know something about animal behavior and you realize how stressed these animals are. Mm-hmm. There you go. Then, exactly. Then it's like, you know, what what are we doing here? What are we doing? And, you know, I go back all the time to horses because horses, I think, are one of the most demonstrative animals in 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 uh, when they're stressed out. 
partly because they're big enough to watch if you know anything about mm-hmm. their nature. And secondly, because they have just been treated like beasts of labor and machinery for so long, and yet still that, stir- that still p- prevails. And, and everything about what, how we've raised them is so contrary to their nature. Yes. So, and, 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 and then people also, and I also look back at what's going on with dogs. You know, this dog bite thing and dangerous dog thing right. and anti-breed thing. Uh-huh. And all of that smacks to me of a lack of knowledge on animal, on dog nature. Mm-hmm. Dogs mm-hmm. warn you. Dogs have body language going on all the time that tells you what exactly where they're going with that. If we if we would go back to nature and look at how they interact socially within their own species, and that that too is a uh, the breed bands are an excellent example of emotion, human emotion, and the self fulfilling prophecy too, mm-hmm. uh, because the um, the original article that was in the American Veterinary Medical Association that is it's used by uh, the Communicable, Communicable Disease and Prevention Centers. It's been quoted time and time again, and it put uh, pit bulls at the top of the list in fatal dog attacks. Hmm. Well, you know, that just sells newspapers and television, oh, yeah. too. Though. Well, the, the problem with it is that the statistical analysis was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what they did in the original wrong. study is they just compared the number of pit bulls in the study to the number of dogs of other breeds in that same study instead of the, the total population. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. If you actually run the numbers, you're more likely to get killed by a Basenji. Right. <laughs> but once that got into the media... Then it, then it just took on a life of its own. It sure did. And but that's uh, what happens when they get hold of something and 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 uh, really, I, I still hear people who don't know much about animals, although they might be in the same industry as Jeannie and I. That 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 actually spout. You know, they 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 repeat what they've heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and think it to be true. Dr. Myrna, I mean, they honestly believe it to be gospel fact. And then in once, fact, it's not. And then once that happens, particularly with aggression, then mm. you really, you're in a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, you are. You know, yeah. you've, got, you've got the scared pit bull, and then the person sees that dog, and they get that, mm-hmm. and their heart rate goes up, their blood mm-hmm. pressure goes up, their rank goes down. Mm-hmm. Now they're signaling submission to the dog at the same time they might be establishing eye contact, right. maybe talking in some stupid, twittery, high-pitched, whiny voice, mm-hmm. and reach out for the top of the dog's head. Mm-hmm. So basically, to this dog, this person must be like, you know, if it's a totally mad person came up to you, it's like, what? Right. What is this what is this? Is this this person is obviously crazy? Right. Mm-hmm. I can't trust them. They're in my. So the dog's going to defend itself. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, that that whole thing is is really interesting. I there's you know this part of me, a, a, I admit, a sort of sick part of me that 
said <laughs> that the same thing will happen here that, that happened in England. And what happened in the U.K. is they had this, this big flap about dangerous breeds and, they, you know, dangerous breed legislation. So then what happened was, um, I guess it came up before Parliament, and they had the Rottweilers and the German Shepherd dogs on there, and and the pit bulls, and and the Dobermans, and the usual, the Mastiffs, uh, yeah. But you know, when you have an aristocracy, mm-hmm. well, they they wanted their Rottweilers because they, that was their primary state dog. So the Rottweilers mm-hmm. went, and law enforcement wanted the German Shepherd dogs, so they went. So mm-hmm. then, what they were left with was the pit bulls, and that seemed sort of pathetic. So then they threw the Tosas on there, and I think there was like one Tosa in the U.K. Mm. at the time and some other dog that there weren't any of. Right. Uh, but then, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was like some little, like a four-year-old who shoved his two-year-old brother out the window. Oh, my and, God, no, I yeah. don't. And what happened is that that just completely took over the media. Mm. And the dogs vanished. Wow. And so then all of the focus shifted to kids and, mm-hmm. and parents and stuff, just like that. Wow. And that was just such a good indicator of how much of this was being driven by emotion and by sale. Right. And even relative to the, the pit bull, um, here's a vet tech, and I, I apologize, I can't remember her name, who went to a tremendous amount of effort to track down all of the news stories that included pit bulls. Mm-hmm. And what she found was that there were cases out there where the dog involved was actually a retriever mix, mm. and the breed was changed mm. because it would be more likely to be picked up by the wire service. And okay, that just uh, really gets my hackles yeah. up, I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about it is. sales. But there's no truth there, Dr. Myrna. That's not about any kind of truth. That's just about selling papers or selling media or selling advertising. Yeah. I, well, you know, I, it, it's all, and, and I tell people this all the time. It's economics, plain and simple. Yeah, um, simple things, and, and I know this has to go with, with everything because we talk about the health of the animals when, you know, we have people saying, well, we'll buy a dog from a, a puppy from a pet store to save that life. But what people fail to understand is economics are driven by demand. And economics, as long as somebody's buying those animals out of those stores, there will always be those puppies. Right. I don't care how many you think you're saving. You will constantly be supporting that and perpetuating that ill health and that lack of, um, uh, that terrible um, form of, you know, it's it's a poor breeding uh, and perpetuating the dog problems or whatever into society. So it's a vicious catch-22. Got to get people out of that, off that merry-go-round. Well, and and that's a that's a tough issue too, mm-hmm. because just just to play devil's advocate here, um, <laughs> okay, um, is because at least. Because it is driven by economics. Mm-hmm. Those puppies in the puppy mill, they have been stressed. There's no question about it. Sure. Yeah. But the thing is, if they can't deal with that stress, those breeders are not going to breed them, right? Mm. Because they know they're going to get them back again. Mm-hmm. Now, compare that to a breeder who 
keeps puppies and has to keep puppies under very, very secure conditions and maybe with you know, a tremendous amount of veterinary assistance just to get those puppies to eight weeks of age. Mm. You know, so we have we have that. Yeah, too. That's true too. So that you know, this is another place for the filthy rich animal think tanks to step in. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we need that filthy rich animal <laughs> think tank. We've got to find someone who's filthy rich. You know, <laughs> yeah, we need space. a great uh, philanthropist who wants to see that this mindset get changed because that's our last question for this show, and I think we can focus on is what are we going to do about all this? What well, can I, we do? I think the what thing, can we do? Yeah, you know, relative to the medical problems and the 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 kinds of behavioral medical problems that emotions uh, precipitate in animals are absolutely legion. And what we need to do is that we have to treat the underlying cause, which is those human emotions. Okay, so you're talking about the root cause, and you know when we talk about natural health, we always say, go to the root cause, and that's exactly (laughs) the same thing. that is what we're talking about. Yes. Because if a person has a relationship with an animal that the animal cannot tolerate, and that results in stress, and that elevates cortisol, that elevates uh, insulin-like growth factor, okay, we are setting that animal up. We're we're taxing the adrenal glands, we're taxing the thyroid, we're taxing the pancreas. And we can wind up with nonspecific gut problems, pancreatic mm-hmm. insufficiency. In little breeds where they have less um, insulin-like growth factor to begin with, we can be setting them up for diabetes. So to just treat the effects without treating that relationship uh, you're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Or it's like Good taking point. a dog who is jumping up on everybody when they come home because that dog is stressed, and you use a clicker training to teach the dog not to jump. Mm-hmm. The stress is still there. Right. And it's got to go somewhere. Yes. And I think what's happened, I mean, what's been happening is the behavioral and the medical communities have been trading these problems back and forth. Hmm. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the trainers deal with the jumping, and then the next thing, the dog has irritable bowel. Well, that's right. a medical problem. That's not their problem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or... Yikes, that's that's a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A big, vicious cycle. It is. It absolutely is. And so, now, we need human training now. That's what we need. We need to, we need well, to train humans. <laughs> you know, I have this uh, standing, uh, standing challenge... Uh, for all my veterinary friends and, and trainer friends, and that is give me one medical or behavioral problem that does not have the opposite component as well as a bond component. Hmm. There is none. There is none. Can you repeat that for, for the okay, that the, the challenge is give me a... Show me a medical problem in an animal that is strictly a medical problem that mm. does not affect that animal's relationship with the owner or vice versa. No such the, thing because it's all interdependent. Right. Exactly. And the same thing is true of behavioral problems and the same thing is true with bond problems. You cannot change one without changing the other. <sighs> wow. See, so our show hits on all three of those. (laughs) That's right. 
Now we know how come it had to become this and evolve to this, Dr. Myrna, because that's really, you know, and everybody, when we teach people, even about in human health, how the mind, body, spirit, everything's interdependent. But that's the, that's what you're saying right here. It's all interdependent, and you can't separate one from the other, and you can't isolate. The, the only way you can do it is for your own convenience. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, yeah. in, that's it right there in a nutshell. You know, but relative to reality, no. Right. And, and because of that, the, the animal's going to suffer and the person is going to suffer too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you look at, uh, like as a veterinarian, most clients, they call for import appointments not for physical reasons, but for behavioral and bond reasons. The dog, really? Yeah. The dog is coughing. They don't like the cough. It keeps them up at night. It irritates uh-huh. them. They mm. yell at the dog. It makes them feel guilty. So they call and they make the appointment and they want the cough stopped. Mm-hmm. But what does the veterinarian think? The veterinarian's first response is, what is causing the cough? The cough. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... of diagnostics later, the client calls up and says, well, what's going on? And the veterinarian says, well, I did yabbity, 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 Mm -hmm. and I discovered yabbity, 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 yabbity. And the client says, is he still coughing? (laughs) And (laughs) the veterinarian says, well, geez, haven't done a damn thing about that yet. (laughs) You know? So it's, it's coming from two you know, two different points of view. Yes, um, and, and therein it, lies therein lies the rub. That we, we've got to we've got to find a place, a meeting of the mind somewhere there. Right. I don't know well, what it, that is, but well, I do know at the end of uh, well, at the end of uh, Dog Smart, I described an at home physical, and I developed that to be a physical behavioral and bond. So you ha- I mean this is a book of yours, right? Your yep. your drugs uh-huh that they yep. can get on and they can yep. order on your website, I hope. I like everybody it. please. You know, <laughs> you know, one never knows with publishers. Um but the the whole idea, I mean just simple things like looking in a in a dog's eyes and ears and opening the dog's mouth and running your hand over that dog's body and just lifting that dog one or two inches off the table or off the floor. That is a tremendous. That tells you so much about that dog's behavior. Hmm. And it tells you so much about how that dog relates to you. And so my theory, which I haven't been able to sell anyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're listening. <laughs> well, it's, I don't see any reason why this cannot be incorporated into every physical exam. Why couldn't it be? And it should be, actually. I mean, okay, so now you have two believers, Dr. Myrna. I mean, I can't speak for Gina, but I can hear her. Oh, yeah. But you know what's really interesting about this is that in my experience, large animal veterinarians, food animal veterinarians, they have a better handle on this. They absolutely do. And I'm not saying that to negate you because you actually do. But, yes, they do. And it's, it's for the same reasons that we've been talking about in their observant nature. Yep. And they are aware of it. And they are also aware of, uh, granted, sometimes it's economic importance to the farmer, Mm -hmm. but they still incorporate that client, that bond dimension into everything they do. Mm -hmm. And they're they're much more attuned, um, I think, to subtle changes, behavioral changes. 
and probably because if they miss something, they could have a herd health problem. Right. Oh, yeah, that makes you sense. You know, there yes. could be 30 or 50 or 100 cattle that they could be exposing. Mm-hmm. So that uh, there, there is that factor, too. Uh, and the the other thing is that when you're doing uh, farm animal work, you're not so technologically dependent. Right. And that has become an issue too. And this is and it's the same in human medicine. You're not the first veterinarian I've heard say that, and I'm talking mm-hmm. more of the veterinarians that have been around for a while, long enough to have gotten past <laughs> past the initial training into the real world yep. and. And, and, and are seeing and, and of course then using those that are using like you say common sense and logic and it's not driving with the training and with all the technology right. so right. then you, you go back to the basics which is really where if we would all go back to our roots back to the root of everything that would therein would be where we would begin to see improvement because I know my my training um, was Never, ever do a test to prove the problem, hmm. to, prove the mm-hmm. to prove what's the problem. Always wow. use your test to confirm what confirm. you already believe mm-hmm. true from a thorough physical and a complete history. And I think that's way, been a top, that's flip-flopped, doctor. I was going to say, I think they lost that somewhere along the uh-huh. line. Well, I, and maybe what they lost it when... The manufacturers of the technology mm-hmm. and the drugs became there you go mm-hmm. financial supporters because yes. the support was not there from the public. Right. There you go. That's and true. So. I think that's that's a big issue too. Sure, it is. It is. It is a big issue, and I, um, we. I mean, we're doing. I mean, honestly, this is why this show exists because we're doing what we feel the only thing we know to do, and that's by having people such as yourself come and share what you know, because you're you're there, you're out there in the field, and and you're experiencing it, and your eyes are wide open, and 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 we hope to encourage the listeners to have to take off those shades, <laughs> those yeah. blinders, really. And 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 get back to the real. I know that right. sounds really hippie-ish, but that's what exactly I mean. Well, and I think the thing is, as I know from my clients, the ones who do, the the rewards are just so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, you I, you do um, consulting, don't you? It's the Tipping Point Animal Behavior Consulting Services, right? And I I deal with um, things like uh, behavioral problems, and I am pretty much limited to companion animals, dogs and cats, um, mm-hmm. just because that's where the, the bulk of my expertise right. has been. Right, sure. Um, and also stress-related medical problems mm-hmm. and, you know, bond issues, people dealing with um, mental illness. Dr. Myrna, do you do um, consultations by phone, or are those only for your local clients? I also do them by phone. Good. Okay, so awesome. people can contact you at um, mmmilani.com and consult with you yep great I, that's I'm a good just, resource yeah we need we need to duplicate you you know like yes, 
Do you I have a duplication process? <laughs> <laughs> I think your animal think tank would be a wonderful duplication um, thing that we would need to get out there and have you as head of, and we hope that there's somebody out there listening that hears what we're saying. We need Dr. Myrna's think tank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, For I sure. just, you know, you see these problems, and um, my background's prevention. Mm, yeah, exactly. boring, but it's so much cheaper in the long run. Oh, no, I think prevention is definitely, you know, that old, old, old saying it's about how pre- it's the best medicine prevention, and you know, the ounce of prevention is is far worth more than the pound of cure. Yeah. There's no such thing as the pound of cure, really. So um, the prevention is the best way to go. Dr. Myrna, we've actually run out of time, and I'm always just so frustrated because it ended too soon. There's so much more to talk about. But that's why we want our audience don't get sad and curious because definitely she is going to be a favorite we'll have guest here and we'll have her back. So, uh, Dr. Myrna, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to remind the audience one more time to visit your website at www.mmalani.com. But since, again, this entire show was all words of wisdom, what thought, what, what would you like to leave um, the audience impressed with uh, today in, in closing? There is nothing inferior about relating to a dog or a cat or a horse as a dog or a cat or a horse. Mm. Oh, good point. Wow. Very yeah. Good. Let's get over ourselves, humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, we, we've so enjoyed you, Dr. Myrna, and we mm-hmm. hope that our audience will. You know, and those of you who are really wanting to go the next step would contact her and do consultation with her. Pick up her book, Dog Smart, and any of her other books on there. You've also got a blog on your site, which they can find right on your website, and um, lots of great reading there and your adventures with your little dog, B, and your other dogs. But also, um, you also have a downloadable book there too, right? Several. And I'm going to uh, be putting um, the other books in audio too. Um, the oh, wow. The wow. in audio. And I'm going to be making my first foray into podcasting. Yay! Yay. So bad. That's so good. We would be more than happy to promote you into this, Dr. Myrna. That's a form. I have to (laughs) (laughs) know. No, you're going to be awesome. You'll be awesome. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of love and truth, we hope you all have a tail wagging, hoof stomping, wing flapping, perfectly animal talking day. Pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally.